Welcome to episode 780 of Effectively Wild, the daily podcast from Baseball Prospectus, brought to you by the Play Index at BaseballReference.com. I'm Sam Miller, along with Ben Lindberg of 538. Hi, Ben. Hello. How are you? I feel like a fan of good pitching in the NL West. It means I feel good, because every good pitcher now pitches in the NL West. So, Ben. Yeah. Ryan Manson. Mm. Three years, $22 million. Big score for me. Let's see. I guess we can real quick do that. Granky was a big hit for me. Manson was a bigger hit for you. Well, it wasn't a bigger hit, but relative to the round, big hit for you. And then, uh, what, I took a hit on somebody, didn't I? Samarja. Yeah, we're, Samarja. we're talking about the Jim Bowden Samarja was contract a, oh, draft. They don't, need, they don't need to know what we're talking about. <laughs> no, now. sure. Samarja, big, Samarja, big, big hit. Mm-hmm. That was a, that's a ludicrous deal. Well, maybe we'll talk about it. Uh, I don't think we will. It's, no? It's... I mean, it's. I'm mostly. Look, my analysis is mostly that it hurts me in a game that we're playing. That's so. My point has been made. Yeah. Uh, all right. So Ryan Manson, three years, twenty-two million dollars. Rich Hill, one. <laughs> we're leading. One year. Leading with Ryan Manson. <laughs> Granky signed. No, 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 no. We're, we're, no, this is banter. This is banter. Okay. Okay. Rich Hill, one year, six million dollars. Yeah. Now, Rich Hill, I get it. Okay, I get it. I get that Rich Hill hasn't been pitching uh, in the majors very much for a, a long time. But neither had Ryan Madsen. Ryan Madsen missed all of three years. And then he came back, and he threw 63 innings, and now he's getting $22 million. Rich Hill came back and threw 29 innings, which is half as many. As a starter. As a starter, and is only getting $6 million. And uh, I can't make sense of this. Uh, so I want to ask From you a the question. Same team. I want to yes, same team. Yes, I want to ask you a question. Who will throw more innings under their current contract with the Oakland Athletics, mm. Rich Hill or Ryan Manson? You asked Twitter this question. I did, although I don't think that I was clear enough. I think probably some people thought I just meant this year. Uh huh. So over the oh well okay so so Hill was signed for. For one year, and one year. Madsen was signed for three. Yeah. And, okay, so I'll say that, uh, I'll say Madsen, just because longer deal and yeah, chance that Billy Bean trades Rich Hill. No chance that he trades Ryan Madsen? I guess maybe well, not. Maybe, but... I mean, Rich uh, Ryan Madsen, if he's healthy, if he's healthy for three years, he'll get 190 innings. And that's if he's healthy for three years. So you're now, of course, you're not betting on Rich Hill to throw 190 innings. But mm-hmm. if he threw 100, do you think the over/under on Madsen for a three-year deal is over 100 at this point? That wouldn't be a bad place to put it, probably. Yeah. Well, anyway, any thoughts about the Ryan Madsen deal? <laughs> I didn't really think of it in Rich Hill terms, but you think of every contract in terms of how many Rich Hills it is. But I guess it makes sense because they're both pitchers who were signed by the A's with sort of spotty recent track records. Well, and one got what I, you know, what seems to me like a nice little bargain contract, and the other one got what seems like a pretty uh, expensive contract. I mean, it wasn't that long ago, I guess Brandon League was worse too, but it wasn't that long ago that Brandon League got like the same exact deal, right? Wasn't that 3 and 22 as well? Yeah. And and it was a, you know, it was considered like Pete Coletti. Yeah. League hadn't really been that Good though, right? Yeah. Well, I think that's before. probably that's probably fair. That uh, yeah, they're not a great uh, 
They're they're not great comparisons for yeah three years twenty two and a half million exact same deal. Uh, league uh, league as I recall uh, had closer Sheen and that was part of why we assumed it was an overpay. He had been his peripherals had plummeted in Seattle. The Dodgers got him at the deadline and then he was very good after the deadline. Uh-huh. And so they they signed him after basically twenty seven really good innings for them. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he'd been an All Star the year before, but you know. That doesn't necessarily mean anything. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. I mean, yeah. Funny, the, the MLB trade would... rumors post about the Madsen signing sort of equates the Rich Hill and Madsen deals and says it seems like it's part of a consistent strategy that the A's signed both of these guys because they're coming off these sort of anomalous seasons for them and that the A's, and I'm quoting, might feel that skepticism about players in situations like Hills or Madsen presents them with opportunities that they might not otherwise have to sign talented pitchers. But you're right, it doesn't seem like if this is the Madsen discount, doesn't seem like much of one. Right. I mean, it's the the Rich Hill thing immediately brought to mind Bartolo Colon, who uh, had been in you know Germany a year earlier and was essentially out of the game, and then they signed him after, you know, he demonstrated that he could pitch in the majors again for one year, and then they were, uh, they took that leap, right? Mm-hmm. And then uh, Scott Casimir, same thing. He had been out of baseball, then bad in Sugarland, and then he pitched one year in the majors to prove he could pitch in Major League Baseball, and they took that leap. And Rich Hill now, same thing, basically, although a smaller, even smaller glimpse, but they took that leap. But in all those cases, fairly short deals definitely below average prices for their position. And Manson's not really that. And the Manson deal feels weird to me. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Maybe Manson's just, maybe he's not a risk. I don't really know. I don't know what his injuries, like, I don't really know what injury risks are. You know, <laughs> like, not all not all three-year absences, I guess, are, are equal. Maybe he had a good one of those. <laughs> like one of the ones that makes him really fresh, ready right. to go, yeah. fired up. It's like Larry David's good Hodgkins thing. This is the the good three-year gap. Uh, Yeah. All right. On to, well, I want to talk about David Price. Really? Yeah. Did you read, did you read the uh, Alex Spear piece, the TikTok of how they uh, recruited him? No. Oh, really? Nope. Oh, I would have expected you would have. These are the the kind of articles that normally we read and we almost always find things to talk about. Well, Alex is excellent, but I did not read that. All right, I'm going to tell you a few things from it. Okay. First of all, before I get to that, I saw a rumor today that Mike Leake is intrigued by the idea of pitching near his home. And when we talked about how most guys, uh, where the city is probably doesn't matter that much because they're not there that much, Mm -hmm. I did think about how I guess probably most players leave the city. Like most players don't hang around in the offseason. And... They probably prefer it that way. They probably don't get recognized as much. They can feel like they're separated from their job a lot more. So it's interesting to see that Leak uh, would be intrigued by the idea of pitching near his own because now he's kind of stuck at work all year round, if you think about it. <laughs> all right, let me see. What did I notice about this article? The thing that I noticed the most, first of all, mostly I'm just going to talk about one thing. Uh, Price's initial list, Price wrote out a list of teams that he would like to play for. And there were 11 teams on this list. And uh, the 11 teams included the Cardinals, Cubs, Dodgers, Giants, and Nationals. So those are basically the five good National League teams minus the Pirates and, uh-huh. the, uh, and, the, and the Mets. Yeah. Right? 
Cardinals, Cubs, Dodgers, Giants, Nationals. Do those five fit any, other than being good teams, do they fit anything to you? They're rich. They're the five rich teams in the NL, mm -hmm. basically. They're the five uh, good teams in the NL. Mm -hmm. Pretty simple, right? Yeah, sure. Six AL teams. Red Sox, Royals, Twins, Blue Jays, Rays, and Tigers. Now, Blue Jays, Rays, and Tigers are his three former teams, so let's put them off to the side. Mm -hmm. Red Sox, Royals, Twins. So not the Angels, not the Astros, not the Yankees, and uh, not the White Sox, but yes, the Royals and Twins, hmm. which feels interesting because uh, yeah. Royals and Twins aren't two teams that you would think of. Uh, I guess other than, well, maybe there's some nice pitching parks here, but again, like no Angels, which is interesting. I wonder why no Angels. No Yankees is interesting, right? Yeah, sure. Very interesting. The Yankees aren't on there. Uh, no Astros is interesting. Uh, anyway, that's just to set up the, what I'm getting to. And he uh, had big market teams on there, so it's not like he had his heart set on playing in the Midwest or something. Indeed. All right, so now, here we go. This is from the conversation that they were having. And this, you seriously, you mock the avocado thing and then listen to what made David Price want to play for Boston, at least according to an interview his agent gave after he had already agreed to play in Boston. Right. Because really the answer is probably they paid him $30 million more than the Cardinals offered right. and $60 million more than the third place bid the Cubs had offered. Yeah. But all right, so here, once here we you go. sign the deal, you never want to just say that's the reason. So you always exactly. have to come up with a non-financial reason. So here we go. The Sox were particularly intrigued by McKinnis' frequent mention of Price's interest in staying in the American League, with the possibility of becoming the first pitcher since the 1973 advent of the DH to reach the Hall of Fame while spending the entirety of his career in the junior circuit. Quote. <laughs> The amount he talked about the importance of the American League to David stood out, said Hazen. And, um, and then here's a quote from Price. My main goal every year is to win the World Series, but my goal before I sign my professional contract is to go to the Hall of Fame. And to do that while spending your entire career in the American <laughs> League is pretty special. I'm not sure how many times it's been done. It's something I want to be a part of. <laughs> <laughs> what part of? World? It's like a movement. <laughs> Why? <laughs> I, I don't know. Like, I guess because it's like he, he did it with the greatest degree of difficulty. Like he had to face the DH. I mean, I guess... If David Price's Hall of Fame candidacy comes up someday, that might be something that people would mention in his favor. Like, he didn't get to face pitchers, but <laughs> it's not something I would have thought of. No, it's not, is it? <laughs> no. And, and then also, why did why were half of the teams on his list in the National League <laughs> then? I don't know. How much could he have really wanted to be a part of it? Yeah, exactly. Uh, which, Doesn't he like hitting? Doesn't he I know, love right? Hitting? He the, loves hitting. The day, right, the day before, I think it was Gammon said that somebody close to him said that he was, like, I think he said something like he was really intent on playing in the NL because he loved hitting so right. much. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to check, see if I can find this. Uh, it was like real when he quick. was traded, the day he was traded to Toronto, I think he was 
going to play an interleague game in an NL park, and he was disappointed that he didn't get to hit. And he tweeted something about how he was going to take batting practice anyway or something regardless of what happened with the trade. So, yeah. Price X teammates think that the NL will be among factors more important than money. Huh. Little did they know it was the opposite. It was the opposite <laughs> that he could make the Hall of Fame <laughs> while spending his whole career in the AL, which he doesn't know how many people have done that before, but he'd like to be a part <laughs> yeah, of that. He didn't even know. He didn't even know he, he was going to be the first know. one. It's <laughs> like he just wants to join all the illustrious <laughs> AL only Hall of Famers. Seems like it must be a good group. Wants to be a part of it. <laughs> I cannot believe That's this. That's really but... strange. <laughs> Maybe they were just really reaching for a reason why he wanted to be. I, you have to tell every team something, I guess. Like everywhere you go to be shown around the city and talked to about how this is the greatest place to play, you have to make it seem like you're interested so that you'll get money from that team. And this was the best he could come up with for why he wanted to play in Boston. I don't know. I don't know either. Oh, my goodness. There was another thing in there about uh, how uh, they realized that the price, that uh, that it was just going to be too hard to trade for an ace and that Blake Sweetheart was seen as a secondary piece. And it just uh, reinforced my notion that rich teams now are the only ones that are going to be able to keep their prospects. All right. Uh, okay, so Zach Granke. Mm. Uh, so Price got seven years, $217 million. Granky gets six and $206.5 million. Yeah, no opt-out. And no opt-out. Ignore the preferred. opt-out. Ignore the opt-out uh, just for a second. I just want to ask you a question. Okay. Uh, uh, so say Price, say you and Granky ag- agree to this deal, six years and $206.5 million. And then he, uh, at the last second, says, hey, um, you want to go seven? Uh, I'll give you a deal on uh-huh. the seven. What would, uh, what would the price be that you would want the seventh year? Act on. Um, 25? 25? So you're basically saying I that... Mean, he's making like 34 and a half or whatever it is. Yeah, I mean, but that's, not taking yeah. into account the deferred stuff. So you're, you know, that's, uh, I guess I would go lower just to see if he really wants to do it. Uh, but I mean, he's, he's getting 34 and a half based on the idea that he's going to be good now. And then yeah. the deal will be awful by the end. Uh, right. I mean, mm-hmm. like, are you telling me that if just right now, realistic that, let me ask you right now, wait, wait, yeah. wait, let me say, let me, okay. So, so Granky is signed for the next six years. Let's say he called up the Dodgers and said, I'm I'm signed through 2021, but I am looking to lock down 2022 right now. Would you like to sign me for a one-year deal in 2022 right now? Uh-huh. How, you think the Dodgers would offer him 25? You think any team would? You think any team would lock down 2022 Granky for 25 million? No. Okay. So let's try this again, Ben. <laughs> it just, yeah, I don't know. It doesn't seem realistic that a player would... Once he gets the idea in his head that he is a $34.5 million a year player, that he would then agree to what he would see as a salary cut beyond I guess, that. 
I guess what I'm asking is who paid more? The Red Sox have a to- have a greater total commitment to Price, mm-hmm. but uh, they get one extra year of Price. The mm-hmm. Dodgers will have less commitment. I mean, the uh, Diamondbacks will have less commitment, but we'll get one fewer year. Who will make more between them? I mean, again, like there's factors that the, the opt out and the deferred money right. change these things. We and don't the Diamondbacks that. give up a better draft pick. The Red Sox don't give up a pick because Price was traded. Mm-hmm. So there's yeah, that too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, so fine, fair enough. Price, we'll just say Price got got paid more. But I am kind of curious to know what that seventh year, because it's always hard to figure out the the extra year versus the higher average annual value. Mm-hmm. I don't feel like we ever have really cracked that yeah. toward the toward the back end of these deals. Mm-hmm. By the way, Zach Greinke, do you remember the story about how what uh, you you will remember the story and you will find it very quickly that I don't remember the story. So correct me as I tell this story. But the story about how Granky, when he was uh, negotiating with the Dodgers, he wanted to like talk about their draft picks and oh. like he was he's like really into being a GM and he was like quizzing them on their GMing or something like that. Yeah, I don't remember the exact details, but yeah, he's I mean he has that I think deserved reputation as someone yeah. who cares about these things and about GMing especially. Like he mm-hmm. wants to be a GM and isn't it kind of funny that he then signed with. The guy who at the time was probably considered the 29th best GM and then now has signed with a guy who is probably considered the 30th Maybe best? it's like Lloyd McClendon taking that AAA job with the, with the Tigers. <laughs> they kicked Brad Osmond was going to be fired. He wants to be next in line. That's why he opted out with the Dodgers because they <laughs> yeah, give him He knew he team. was never going to get the GM job in that front office. Does it change your mind about Dave Stewart? at all that Zach Granke looked him in the eye and decided this guy was going to lead the Diamondbacks somewhere. I mean, <laughs> Granke's smart. Yeah, right. Uh, not really. No. Okay. no. All right. So now on to the, the meat. Zach Granke signed with the Diamondbacks for six years, $206.5 million. Some of that money was deferred and there was no opt-out. Tell me about this deal, Ben. It was a surprise because it seemed like a certainty that he was going to the Dodgers or the Giants right up until the last minute. It was Dodgers or Giants, Dodgers or Giants. And he went to a different NOS team and an NOS team that has a new TV deal like most other teams and therefore has more money to spend but hasn't had payrolls in the upper tier and this is going to take them into a higher tier and has been kind of just hovering around 500 for years now. And so this seems like the move that could possibly take them from 500 to, you know, 87 wins or something, which nowadays is enough to have some hope. So it was kind of a lot of money if you just look at Zach Greinke as a pitcher, and as lots of people have pointed out, he is maybe the most well-rounded pitcher in baseball, or has been the last couple of years. He's been one of the best hitters, he's been one of the best fielders, he's been one of the best base runner holders. So put all of that together and... If you do the, the dollars per war calculation that everyone does, it comes out to look somewhat reasonable. So the Diamondbacks right now have got to have the most top-heavy roster we've seen of a pretty good team in quite some time, right? Like, they basically have two MVP candidates, a Cy Young candidate, and nothing else. Is this a risky way to go into it, or do we not get too hung up on roster balance, especially in on December uh, 6th? You're talking about... Pollock and Goldschmidt. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, they do have uh, a and fair have amount of youngish, cheapish, productive talent. 
still under contract for 2016. I mean, Goldschmidt obviously is, I mean, one of the reasons why this works for them, maybe why they can afford to do this, it is kind of putting a lot of their dollars in one player, but they do have Goldschmidt signed to the excellent Goldschmidt deal, and they have Pollock Cheap and Patrick Corbin and and some other guys who aren't expensive yet. And so at least for next year, it seems like this should work financially for them, and if they could make it back to the playoffs after a run of extended mediocrity, then maybe that helps them in terms of sales and ticket prices for the next year, and then maybe that makes it easier as those other guys go into arbitration and make more money. So there's uh, enough, I guess, and maybe they aren't done yet. Maybe they'll add Mike Leak or someone else, and maybe the fact that it is top-heavy means it's easier to improve the rest of the roster. That Goldschmidt extension is crazy. It's so good. super good. And it's also crazy kind of to, in retrospect to look back and see how aggressive it was. I mean, he wasn't ever uh, seen as a, as a real prospect. He had one year essentially of a pretty good season for a first baseman. But I mean, like that was like, that was, that was, that was guts. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right there. Kevin Towers, have- cowboy. Oh, that was Towers, huh? Yeah. Yeah. I wonder what we wrote about that at the time. Not enough praise. Yeah, probably not enough praise. Uh, all right. So the Dodgers get outbid for a player that this is like this was the, the this year's version of the it makes so much sense. There's no way anyone will outbid them kind of uh, situation. Mm-hmm. And then they get outbid. And it has been pointed out by, I think, Jeff Passan recently that and probably lots of other people that while the Dodgers were, we think of this Dodgers ownership group as being, you know, insane because they carry $300 million payrolls and because they took, uh, you know, Carl Crawford that one time. And that's true. That has always been true. It still is true that they have an awful lot of money. But uh, all those fun facts about how the Dodgers had spent, um, you know, more money on their 20, you know, on their payroll four years down uh, in the future, then, you know, 27 other teams were spending next year. You remember that genre of fun fact. Mm-hmm. They're kind of coming to an end. They don't actually have much money committed beyond 2018. They are, in a way, maybe almost starting to look like a team that is doing frugal things. Mm-hmm. And they don't seem like a team that has any limit to what they can spend. So are they being too concerned about their payroll, about maxing out? Is there... I guess, are they overthinking this? Yeah, I mean, I don't know. Maybe it's hard to break your old habits, your small market habits. Uh, Friedman in Tampa Bay never signed free agent pitchers. I mean, he signed Roberto Hernandez, I think, was maybe the the biggest free agent pitcher he signed. Um, Free agent starters in particular. He He never signed any free agent anything. He didn't, what, I think he signed two relievers to multi-year deals in mm-hmm. his entire tenure and they were i think two-year deals the biggest free agent signing that he made was uh james loney yeah, no it was right. james loney suspicious family barbecue recently dug that one up james loney at 22 million dollars so he didn't really sign it but i mean that that's the race that's mm-hmm. not necessarily friedman right that was they haven't signed anybody since he left either they can't afford to right yeah so now he can, but I wonder how easy it is to just flip that switch. If you were with the Rays and you talked yourself into these deals being bad, 
maybe it's just sort of intellectually distasteful to make what you know is a bad dollars per war signing, even though you have all of the dollars and you can afford to make inefficient deals. But I don't know. I mean, he he was always someone who used prospects or traded young players for better young players, and that was maybe a function of what he had to do, and maybe that's what he is trying to do again, because the Dodgers have built one of the best farm systems in baseball, and maybe they're about to use that to add a Roldis Chapman, potentially. So, yeah, I don't I don't know why you would not sign a deal. <laughs> if you were the Dodgers and you're trying to win, I guess it's just, you know, if you figure we'll trade some prospects for Aroldis Chapman and then we'll sign Hisashi Iwakuma, which the Dodgers also did, adding him to a on a three-year deal. Uh, we don't know the terms of it yet, I don't think, but maybe you just add those things together and you figure that Iwakuma plus Chapman equals Granky, and you minimize your long-term risk because Iwakuma's three years and Chapman's one year, and that doesn't add up to how long Granky alone is signed for. So you could just kind of say, whatever, we're the Dodgers, we'll sign the best free agent every year, and what are you going to do about it? <laughs> so you could do that, but maybe that's no fun. So according to Cots, opening day payroll in 2015 was 271 million. This year they have currently spent not counting Iwakuma. Uh, they have committed 175 million this year and then 141 next year and then 99 in 2018 and then by 2019 they're down to 38 million dollars and really that 38 million dollars is misleading. It's all essentially it's all Kershaw and Kershaw has an opt out before uh-huh. 2019. And so um, there's a couple of there's a couple of ways you could look at this. One is that they can't actually spend $270 million a year, that they can't even spend $200 million a year. Maybe this is a, this was an illusion. This was, you know, trying to make a splash uh, for the first half decade while you got all your business in order and focused on building a sustainable team, uh, knowing you had to do what you had to do, but knowing also that you couldn't possibly maintain it. And then, in fact, they're going to settle in as like a $200 million team. I mean, the Yankees also, what is the Yankees payroll right now? Like, it's around 200 right? A little yeah, more than 200 It was this year. And it's not like the, I mean, you know, the Yankees are as rich as you can be. And they haven't decided to go 400 and 500 and 600 million either. So that's one possibility. Another is that it's conceivable that they're looking to put themselves in a position at some point to get under the luxury tax because... The longer you're over the luxury tax, the more expensive it gets, and maybe they don't want to lose sight of that possibility. They want to at least kind of be in a position where if they have to, they can get there without torpedoing everything, as the Yankees seem to have done. And thirdly, maybe they're just setting it up. Maybe they look at Granky and don't see enough of a reason to to commit all that money right now when they see Strasburg coming a year later, or they see Harper coming two years later, or they see the need to um, re-sign Kershaw after 2018, uh, or they see, when does, let's see, Trout is 2019, I think. No, Trout's further than that. Trout might be 2020, I don't remember. Stanton has the opt-out at some point. So maybe they are just figuring that they are around 2019, 2020. They don't want to have a whole bunch of bad contracts that they feel like right now, they can get through the next three years as one of the top teams in baseball, uh, and that um, 2019 
is sort of in a way a new window and they want to have as much roster space as possible at that point. Mm-hmm. Maybe. Yeah, that could be. I mean, that that implies that there is some limit, but they have there has to be there some, is a limit. So there has to be some limit, right? Yeah, I would think so. I mean, even if it's just ownership saying we want to make more money, <laughs> so therefore we could afford it, but we don't want to. I don't know. Trout is after twenty twenty, so that's a ways. Stanton, I forget when is Stanton's opt out. Five years from now, following twenty twenty. I don't know. It's uh. It's just you go into this thinking, wow, it's sure going to be one heck of a bidding war between the Red Sox and the Dodgers and the Yankees. And then, like, the Yankees you never hear from. The Red Sox go get a guy, and you, the Dodgers aren't even in on him. And then the Dodgers let their ace, you know, one of their aces go. Mm-hmm. It's all, it never goes according to what you expect. No, it doesn't. And I mean, you could. Like, we are giving Granky a lot of credit for his non-pitching contributions, and probably it would be wise to expect those to regress a little bit. Just, I mean, he's a 32-year-old pitcher. I don't know how much you count on him to keep being an excellent hitter. I don't know. In the past, I think Nate Silver found that pitchers decline more steeply as hitters than, than most players do just because they don't put much work into it, and... Therefore, when their reactions go, they don't really compensate with anything. But that's probably not the case for Granky, who clearly cares a lot about his hitting and puts a lot of work into it. And fielding is another thing that we say that declines quickly, but he seems to be getting better at it. So I don't know. And and I kind of wonder, I mean, are we giving him too much credit for being smart? <laughs> like we we like him a lot. And so we want him to think that we want to think that a smart pitcher can just sort of will himself not to decline. And then everyone makes the Maddox comp. But I mean, Maddox, when he I don't know, are we are we overrating old Maddox? Old Maddox was, you know, good for an old pitcher, but he wasn't one of the he wasn't someone you would want to pay to be one of the best paid pitchers in baseball. I mean, what Maddox's last great season was. 2001 i guess and he was i mean you know he was 35 he was 35 the thing about it is ben the thing about it and by the way he had a better year the next year so that was 36 the thing about maddox is that if you get his ages 32 to 37 seasons then yeah he's really awesome like he he aged very well from 32 to 37 but like maybe like it's not like he's exactly the same as Granky or anything like that. Maybe Granky just ages two years faster. And if you just shift it two years later, then it's not as good, right? Mm-hmm. Like, you could still age pretty well, but it's not like he's going to be a perfect match, even if he is a match for him. Like, even if even if it makes perfect sense to compare the two, which I'm not sure it does. Mm-hmm. I don't I don't think it does. I mean, Maddox, Maddox is just like... Uh, Maddox is one of those comps that nobody... Nobody can possibly live up to. Yeah. So you shouldn't you shouldn't do that. But all the same, I mean, I don't know. You're thinking about probably later Maddox, like 37, 38, 39, 40, where he's you know a little, he's a smart, savvy pitcher, a little bit above average, mm-hmm. a little bit above. I mean, Maddox hung around a long time as a guy who was pretty good for an old pitcher. Yeah. He was always good for an old pitcher, but no longer great. But uh, for a pitcher, pitcher. Mm-hmm. However, uh, however. Uh, the years that Granky's deal covered are mostly under the mm-hmm. great pitcher 
I wrote about aging curve for hitters too, for pitchers hitting. And mm-hmm. I'm trying to, I'm skimming it and trying to. Point is with Granky, I mean, he seems to be getting better with age. He's coming off his best season, and you can come up with all kind of reasons why that might be. And he's raising his release point, and he's throwing his changeup harder, and he's doing all these seemingly smart things. And we know he's smart, and he reads our articles, and we're flattered by that. And so we want him to do well and want to think that he can do well. And maybe he can. I mean, I probably would bet on him to do better than someone who has the same talent but doesn't have those qualities. I just, I wonder if it's really as powerful as we think, if uh, he is such an outlier intellectually that he can overcome the decline that comes for everyone. It's amazing how he's just gotten this reputation over the last three years for being uh, immune to FIP, that he's like a FIP outlier. And mm-hmm. he's so smart that, of course, he's cracked FIP. You don't even have to think about his right. FIP. Like, why, <laughs> uh, what, what do you mean he has a 276 FIP? He's smart. Yeah. He had a 166 ERA. Right. cares if he has but, a 220 Babbitt. That's who right. he is now. Exactly. That's who he is now. And like, I feel like that that's just sort of accepted that you can't even argue against that mm-hmm. at this point with Granky. And yet, career, FIP, 331. Career, ERA, 335. Yeah. Like, Maybe, I don't know, maybe he did crack it exactly between 2012 and 2013. Maybe going to the Dodgers did it. Maybe, who knows, but I don't know. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I wasn't, the thing about it is that I didn't really love the first one, <laughs> the first deal, and uh, and that turned out really well mm-hmm. for the Dodgers. Yeah, it's fine. I mean, the other thing is that, there is real value to the to the Diamondbacks in his not going to the Dodgers or the Giants, right? Because this isn't a typical case where you don't know where a guy's going to go and it's 30 teams are in it and you're not really going to make a bet that he's going to go to your division rival. This was like a certainty that he was going to the Dodgers or the Giants and those are the two teams that the Diamondbacks are going to be competing with for the next several years. And so... To ensure that, I mean, they have saved themselves the cost of facing Granky, you know, whatever, three times a year or something, four times a year. They're going to face someone worse than Granky in those games, and they have deprived their division rivals of Granky for those if, years. So, I mean, yeah, that's, that's a if, real benefit. If you think it's a good deal, though, if you think this is a terrible deal, then you're depriving your rivals of having a terrible deal on their books. Uh, so you still do have to answer the question of whether it's a good deal and whether the Diamondbacks are a good team that is going to benefit from this. Yeah, but it, it might have been a smaller deal if the Diamondbacks hadn't given it to him. I mean, maybe the Dodgers would have signed him for less or the Giants would have signed him for less. I don't know. We don't know how much bigger than the next best offer this was you would think they must have outbid the competition so he would have gone to the dodgers that's or the giants on a smaller deal that is true what were we making fun of the diamondbacks about earlier this year we were making uh, fun of them for thinking they were there was they the, were good the comment right? oh well there was tony la Russa's comment that he would be heartbroken if the diamondbacks didn't finish 500 or no. 500 and they didn't uh, it wasn't that. Stewart saying that they view themselves as the, the old school team or something, and we were no, talking about No, I think it was specifically that they were talking about how they were in it. They weren't going to trade anybody because they were in it, and we uh-huh. were mocking their thinking they were in it. Uh-huh. Yeah. That was a long time ago, though. 
And they weren't. Uh, they were not in it. <laughs> no. But now they're in it. They're in it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They are in it. That's yeah. It's true. They're welcome, in it. They've, welcome to it. Having having Paul Goldschmidt and AJ Pollock on your team making a combined, you know, $11 million or whatever, it's like trout. It's like having trout. You just, yeah. you, you can pretty much go for it at mm-hmm. that point. Just knowing that. That's all you got to know. You got trout, go for it. Uh-huh. Got Pollock and Goldschmidt, go for it too. Yeah, might as well. You might as well. Okay, so we're done with Cranky. All right. Two minutes on Jeff Smarja. Oh, jeez. Unless you want to talk about it longer tomorrow. <laughs> you can take shorter Smarja segment now, or you can take longer Smarja segment tomorrow. Or you could hang up on me. Do the quick Smarja <laughs> segment. Okay, so the Giants signed Smarja for $90 million over five years. And this was notable because Smarja is coming off his worst year and, frankly, a a bad year. I think we can say it was a bad year. And maybe there was some bad luck going on and it was a second half collapse and he was out of it and maybe he was disappointed about not being traded and all these other factors. But bad year and a guy who has been a below average pitcher <laughs> over the course of his well, career. Well, kind of. Sort it of. is kind of. I mean, it, Samarj is a tricky one too because sort of like BJ Upton was two years ago there's a, I think it's fair to have a to say there's a big disagreement over how good he actually is not just about how good he will be or how much talent is in that arm or whether he looks like an ace or not but like actually how good has he been because uh, if you go to fan graphs you see a guy who in his four years as a starter has produced 12 wins 12 war which is definitely above average which is close to a reliable all-star uh, if you go to baseball, prospectus and you look at how he's done in his four years as a starter you get nine wins which is about average just about an average pitcher Mm -hmm. average starting pitcher and if you go to baseball reference and you look at his war over those four years you get 4.9 which means that he is essentially you know bad he's bad he's a bad pitcher Mm -hmm. and and if you look at his era plus if you look at all the starters over the last four years and you rank them by era plus he is in the bottom half he's in like the 30th percentile among starters with at least 400 innings over the last four years and over the course of four years i think that you would probably agree that the uh that the balance of evidence tilts from fit to era Mm -hmm. and that samarja's inability to prevent runs from scoring against him looks to be a pretty serious uh failure in his skill level Mm -hmm. um now that's not to say that he hasn't had some good years. It's not to say that he doesn't do some things. But the dude allows a lot of runs. He allows a lot of runs. Mm-hmm. He, I mean, in the last three years, he has allowed 160 more runs than Zach Greinke, which is a lot <laughs> yeah. more runs. Yeah. And he's making a lot less money, but still. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, yeah. no, no, I know. I'm just, that's a lot of runs, though. Yeah. And, yeah, I mean, he had... He he's it's kind of crazy because he's like the reason I took the under on him is that he is a guy who it seemed like a year ago had a lot of value and then had a horrible year. Mm -hmm. And I would have thought, well, he should he should take a short, short deal, rebuild Mm -hmm. his uh, his value Uh, and the horrible year. I don't know how much the horrible year cost him. How much would he have made last year? Well, he he had an an extension. He had. Five-year, five million extension in the middle of 2014. Yeah, So and then he had three good months after that. 
Yeah. And he turned that extension down. Right. So, so yeah, it cost him something, but not that much. No. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I don't know. Look, it's we had him twenty. I think we had him twenty third or something like that in our free agent rankings. Mm-hmm. It's you know he's it depending on what everybody else gets. Um, it sure looks like they tried to sign a number two starter who probably pitches like a number three most of the time and is going to be 31, mm-hmm. showing signs of physical deterioration and cost of draft pick. So, yeah. not, a, you know, not, a, not a great deal, doesn't seem to me. No. I, I mean, I don't know. The idea that he has more left somehow seems sort of far-fetched to me at this point. I mean, he's, he's, gonna, he's about to turn 31, and... And yeah, I mean, he was late to baseball, and he maybe doesn't have as many innings on his arm because he was a reliever for a while, and he's been healthy, so there's that. And he's always thrown hard, although maybe slightly less hard lately. And he has the opposite of the usual Don Cooper narrative, like the idea that Don Cooper screwed him up. I know, it's the opposite of the Don Cooper story. Isn't that wonderful? I love that. (laughs) I love that all he has to do is get away from Don Cooper. Yeah, right. Just got to get him out of the clutches of terrible pitching coach Don Cooper, who just didn't understand him. So, I don't know. I guess that could be true for individual pitchers, but but if you're betting on a guy to get better because he's getting away from Don Cooper, I don't know. We had him 20th on our free agent rankings, and so I'm just going to start naming names, and then you tell me, Will they make more than ninety million dollars as free agents? Okay, I'm gonna go. I'm just going number nineteen, number eighteen, all the way up. Okay. Okay. As Drupal Cabrera. No. Daniel Murphy. No. Howard Kendrick. No. Colby Rasmus. No. <laughs> Denard Span. Nope. John Lackey. Nope. nope. <laughs> <laughs> right? Like John Lack. Matt Weeters took the took the qualifying <laughs> offer. No. Ian Desmond. Nope. Dexter Fowler. Nope. Benzo Brist. Probably not. Jordan Zimmerman. So you have to go all the way to number nine. He leaps 11 spots, basically. And, uh, you know, maybe our free agent rankings were wrong. But we weren't saying that two days ago, so it seems weird to say it now. Mm -hmm. Okay. So we did our Samarja segment. And uh, tomorrow there will be more moves to talk about, or we'll talk about ones we didn't talk about. That's how this podcast works. You can send us emails at podcast.baseballperspectus.com. Join our Facebook group at facebook.com slash groups slash effectively wild. Rate, review, subscribe to the show on iTunes, and support our sponsor, the Play Index at baseballreference.com. Use the coupon code BP, get the discounted price of $30 on a one-year subscription. We'll be back tomorrow.